Our scripture reading today is from Mark 4, 1 through 9. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Emma, thank you for reading that passage for us this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs. Uh, I had a conversation before the earlier service with uh, one of our members who had been reading the passage ahead of time um, and the, the sermon of the, the parable of the sowers, the sower. And he said, can I just be honest with you? This is my least favorite parable. And I just kind of laughed, and I, was, I said, I said, it's a little on the nose, isn't it? And he said, yeah, just, you know, what do you do with it? I mean, it's just it's four, there's four kinds of soil. Which one are you? Where do you go from there, you know? <laughs> and I resonated with it in, in, in a way, because, because on its surface, you could look at this parable and think it's just kind of a moralistic tale. What kind of soil are you going to be? You know, what's, what's your character like? You know, that kind of thing. But it's not. Jesus is never just like that. He's never just like that. So we're going to unpack it. One of the things that I, I love to um, do, and we've done it in, in this parable series so far, is we've just taken a moment to ask the question, why did Jesus tell this parable? What's the occasion for this story being told? And they happen in a number of different places. This one happens to be where Jesus is teaching a large crowd. This parable appears in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's here in Mark 4. It's in Matthew 13. It's in Luke 8. And the setting is the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is there, and he's, and he's teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And when we think about Jesus, it's very common for us to maybe imagine Jesus as this figure who was polarizing uh, and that's the image we have in his head. He was always contending against the religious leaders and, and the system of the Roman government. And, and he was kind of this, this rebel, renegade type of person who was an acquired taste. Um, but there was an era in the early part of his earthly ministry where I think the, the, the most contemporary word we could use to describe his ministry would be the word famous. That he was famous. He was a Christian celebrity before Christian celebrity was a thing. And you may say, not my Jesus. My Jesus was never that. It's not his fault. 
But let me just take you there in case you're not buying what I'm saying, Heather. We may think... <laughs> the good thing about me being able to see your faces <laughs> is this. We think of Jesus' ministry as having doubters and detractors. But here, what do we do? We find that he has, what, a crowd, a great crowd. And this isn't the first time he's had a great crowd. There's this miracle where he multiplies fishes and loaves. For how many people does he multiply fishes and loaves? There's a couple of accounts. One time it's for 4,000 people. One time it's for 5,000 people. Where do these people come from? Like Jesus isn't just speaking at a conference, right? These are people who are flocking to see him, to be in his presence. Why are they flocking to be in his presence? Matthew talks about it in Matthew 14, which is the chapter right after this one, where Jesus is in this famous era. He'd been teaching and crowds had been pressing in around him. He performed this miracle of feeding the 5,000 and then he was like, I got to get out of here. There's too many people. I'm pressed in. And so he says this. Matthew writes this. He says, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from their towns and when he went to shore, he saw the great crowd. It's like when the Beatles came to America, right? He, 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 he saw the great crowd, and he had, or when BTS came to America. <laughs> I know what's up. He went ashore, and he saw the great crowd, and what does Matthew say? He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And they loved him. They loved him. This is the era that Jesus is in here in this passage. And so he's there. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's a crowd. There's a crowd that's big enough that for him to just turn around and talk to him, it's too many people. And so what he does, he gets in a boat and he sets out a little to teach to them in kind of this natural amphitheater where the boat is the stage and the people are lining the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And what Mark tells us, which is beautiful, is he tells us that Jesus was teaching them, quote, many things. So if you think about Jesus teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we think of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where that happened. We think of places like this where, where you know, Jesus had a, a, a repertoire, if you will, of things that he talked about. He talked about the kingdom of God, what it means to be a citizen there. The meek shall inherit the earth. earth blessed are the peacemakers. He taught about, about greed. He taught about lust. He taught about adultery. He taught about all kinds of things. And so he's doing that with them. He doesn't get on the boat just to tell them there was a sower who went out and sowed seed. He's teaching them. And in the process of doing that, he tells this parable. It's part of it. And he opens by saying, listen, exclamation point, in the English. Which means, listen carefully. Listen to me. Eyes on me. Pay attention. And then he follows, listen, exclamation point, with behold, 
another way of saying, imagine this. So he's saying, listen to me, I want to tell you a story. Focus. Now picture this. And he tells the story in an environment where the plains that are sloping up from the Sea of Galilee are the perfect visual because he is surrounded by fields of grain. And the people are all over the place. They're standing everywhere. They have come in, trampled, trampling the paths and the roads to get to where he is. They've been in the places he's talking about. They are in the places he's talking about. The birds are flying overhead. They're there. The weeds line the ditches between the roads and the fields. They've seen them. They've navigated them. And so he's giving this parable to them in the most ordinary place. It's the most ordinary thing he's talking about. But what's it a parable about? It's about specifically life. He's talking about life. And so it's this simple concept that anybody can latch on to, this idea of a sower sowing seed. And it's asking the question, what kind of soil are you? How do you receive the seed of the Lord's word and his kingdom as it's sown in your life? What kind of, what kind of soil are you? What kind of ground are you? How does the seed work in you? And the sower, we're told, is a person who proclaims the word of God, or in Matthew, the secrets of the mysteries, or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so the sower could be God, could be a prophet, could be Jesus himself, could be you or I. People who are proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so you have this picture, everybody can picture him, the sower, he's got his sleeves rolled up, he has this, this cloth bag around his shoulder, and in it it's full of wheat or maybe barley, something that will grow to be flour, bread, beer. And he's reaching in, he's got the sun on his face, breeze on his skin, maybe he's just taking a drink of water. And he reaches in and he grabs a handful of seed, and with a kind of artistry, he makes this sweeping motion where he broadcasts it as widely and as evenly as he can. This reserve from last year's harvest. And the birds are watching him work. Alert to the opportunity that is set before them. And he knows they're there and he's accounted for them. And he's glad for them. And he walks his field, broadcasting the seed until his work is done. And that's what he does. He does the simple work of broadcasting the seed. What happens next has to do with where that seed falls. And that's the parable's emphasis. How we come to live as part of the kingdom of God. It's about what happens to the seed of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven as they land on us. As the seeds are sown, Jesus says there are four different kinds of ground. There's the path, the rocky soil, the thorns, the good soil. And we may hear that and we may think, okay, 25, 25, 25, 25, right? That 75% of the seed falls in bad places. That's a bad sower right there. And Jesus' audience would have understood this. He would have trusted that his audience would have understood, look, part of the work of 
sowing seed means that some of that seed falls on less desirable ground than others. That's part of it, because to cast it well, it has to be cast wide. They would have understood this. And so he talks about where the seed might fall. It might fall on the path that they've walked on to get to where they are right now. And when it does that, it's quickly devoured by the birds. They know it's theirs. It's gone before you know it. And it's this picture, right, of the gospel being heard and then immediately discarded. It's, it's just met with no response at all. And the seed that falls on the rocky soil, it looks good at first because it sprouts up fast. But there's no nourishment for it. There's no root. And so it just quickly dies off. There's just nothing there. And here is a picture where the message uh, has only root if things are optimal, and when the heat comes up, it just dies off. It can't make it. The third seed falls among thorns, and it's just, it's choked out by the competing plants growing around the weeds that are there. And here, the gospel is heard. Maybe it's even received but the cares of life and the competing forces around just crowd it out. And we live in that time right now where there are so many competing, demanding, loud, crowding voices that say, give your allegiance to me right now fully. Obey my voice. And so the question we have to ask is, do we? What are the voices that we obey? What has your allegiance are you captive to them? One way you might know that you're captive to these voices that want to crowd out everything good is you're just filling yourself day in and day out with a steady stream of negative negativity, stories about how the world is a terrible place and how politicians are corrupt and how war is erupting everywhere. And there's no stillness and you're taking in all this stuff as though, as though you need to do something about it or you need to carry it in some way. And yeah, as Christians, we can bring that stuff to the Lord, but we have to also remember that we live in a day and age right now where we have access to news that is immediate, free, and global. And we are processing information and taking in information in ways that no one in the history of the world has ever done. And it's more than we were meant to carry and it'll choke the life out of you. But then you've got the seed that falls on good soil, and there it grows, and it produces grain, sometimes 30-fold, sometimes 60-fold, sometimes 100-fold. Here is a picture where the gospel has become part of the person's lifeblood. It's flowing through them. It's growing in them. It is their life. There is no way to tell where the gospel ends and that person's life begins. They're so intertwined. And Jesus is saying, there's a cost to following me, but there's life there too. And then he ends the parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, which is another way of saying listen. Just like he started, listen. At the end he says, listen if you can. Now, the question we have to ask, which gets back to why I brought up this friend of mine who said, yeah, this parable is my least favorite, um, is because it might make us want to ask the question, what value is there in a parable like this? 
isn't it just on its surface? Well, there's four kinds of soil. Which one are you? If, if that's how we're thinking, then what we're probably thinking about is the obligation and responsibility we have to go then bear a harvest. And we're thinking, shoot, I don't want to mess this up and look at my life at the end and say, was I 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold? We start to measure it that way. I think the point of this parable is Jesus is saying, when the gospel lands in fertile soil, it grows in you and it never stops. And it transforms you. And a harvest is a product of it. But there's this life that's happening inside of you. That there's a lot within and without that seeks to rob us of joy and intimacy with Jesus, real struggles. But the seeds that find fertile soil take root and they grow and they produce fruit that will find a harvest and Jesus will be the one to grow it. James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite uh, theologians and pastors to read commentaries, his commentaries are adapted sermons with a lot of theological heft to them. One of the things that he says about this passage is he says, Jesus saw his calling as being to preach the good news and also to die. In other words, as a calling to conquer by love, not force. Sowing is something gentle. Jesus' ministry was sowing. Jesus' ministry was gentle. And yet what he's saying is this ministry of mine will produce life in you. How do you know if you're a seed planted in the good soil? Do you wonder? Somebody at the 830 service came up to me afterwards and said, how do I know which soil am I? What if, what if I'm the, the rocky soil and I just don't know it? You ever wonder about that? I think the way you know is you look at how the seed is growing in you. How do the seeds of the gospel grow in you? So I spent some time this week in preparing this sermon researching seeds and what they do. And one of the reasons I did that is because when Jesus told this parable about these seeds falling on different soil and growing in different ways or not growing at all, it struck me that the one who's telling this story is responsible for the creation of a seed. He's responsible for the mechanics of photosynthesis and germination. The second person of the Trinity, present at creation, made the trees and the vegetation to work in the way that it does. And you get a little chicken and egg at a certain point here, right? Where you wonder, like, did Jesus make seeds work the way that they do so that later during his incarnation he could tell this parable? Or did he tell this parable because of just how genius and intricate his creation has been since the beginning? It's probably some mysterious kind of mix of both with the all-knowing, you know, the omniscience of, of God himself. And yet at the same time, 
what Jesus is telling us here is something that is profound because on the one hand, it's everywhere. It's commonplace. Everywhere you look, there's green growing outside these windows. Seeds grew. And we see it all around us. And so let's talk about what the seed of the gospel does in the life of a person whose soul is fertile soil. When the seed hits, it's maybe pretty unimpressive. It's commonplace. Without soil, water, and light, it's just going to sit dormant like a pebble on a shelf until it eventually turns to dust. But the potential inside of it is astonishing. It's, it's powerful enough to break stone and it's complex enough to feed a nation. And all that seed needs is to be sown. And then life happens. The seed has a coat called the seed coat. And it serves as armor to protect it from the environment when it's above ground. But when it's planted, it softens and actually becomes a conduit that takes in nutrient and it takes in water. It drinks from its environment. It draws what's outside in. Each of these seed coats is naturally resistant to the common dangers of its environment, the bacteria, the mold, the humidity, all of those things. And inside of that seed coat, there's this embryo that is surrounded by its own little nutrient packet, which is a casing that gets consumed by the embryo as it starts to grow. It feeds on itself. The word alone is nourishment. Even in its simplest, earliest days of development, when we don't know that we're bringing anything of value, it grows on its own because it is living. And then a plant embryo begins to grow. It forms and it has this tiny tendril that comes out, it pushes through the now softened shell, and it's a root. And that root somehow knows to grow down. It grows down deep for more of the stuff of life. It's this compulsion. It's a need. It's a daily process of growing and multiplying and developing. And it's all happening under the surface at first. That seed is growing. People wouldn't look and say, I, I see it necessarily. But soon, what does it do? It sends up a stem. And that stem breaks through the surface and then it just begins absorbing light. 
and it is now a witness to itself. It's a witness to the soil because it's there and you see it. And the roots multiply, and as they do, they go deeper, and they go wider, and then leaves unfurl above the surface. These giant sun catchers that activate this photosynthesis that makes the plant keep growing. It is knit to the soil. And now what's buried in the deep and what's exposed to the light are working together to generate further life, seeds of its own. This seed-bearing fruit that will then attract the birds and the beasts to take them in and then leave them scattered across the forest floor propagating further life. All of that is in the seed. But it happens in the soil. And I think if you're to ask with tears in your eyes, how do I know if I'm not growing in the good soil? My response to you would be, I see the depth of the rootedness in your tears, that it matters to you. The plant that grows up in the rocky soil, Jesus says, it has no root. It has no sense of permanence. It has no sense of belonging here at all. Same with the birds that that pick it up off the path and the, and the weeds that come in and choke out. But the seed that is growing in fertile soil, it does all of that. Do you see the picture of it? This seed growing in good soil. It is nothing like the other seeds. It has depth of soul. It has a need to grow. I belabor the point because we could be tempted to think that Jesus' parable of the sower is all about just kind of capturing tidy little bushels of seeds, souls one, some quantifiable harvest. But the harvest is the byproduct. Look at what the seed does. Look at how God made it to live, rooted in nourishment and purpose. The idea of a seed reaching the full potential of what a seed can do is overwhelmingly powerful because it can change a world. And it isn't easily uprooted. Yeah, the life cycle of a seed can be shut down before it can mature and produce a harvest. Birds can snatch it up, weeds can choke it out, it can get trampled underfoot. But in good soil, the seed of the gospel will grow and root and it will sustain entire nations for generations as a result. And we might be tempted to think of Jesus' invitation to believe in him and to follow him as an invitation to just accept one faith out of many faiths, like we're going to a faith fair and he has a booth, right? And we're visiting his booth and seeing what kind of swag he has and is it appealing to me or what else other people selling here. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, no, no. The message of the kingdom of God is not just one of a series of possible options for us. He's saying this is where life happens. This is where life is found. He's telling us we were made 
to have the seeds of the gospel planted in the good soil of our heart where the roots, roots grow deep and we produce the fruit of the Spirit. And he's saying you also may be tempted to look for life in other ways. We may try to cut short the struggle that comes with growth. But if that's the life we seek, we may see ourselves sprout up quickly, but the pleasure that we derive from that life will be cut short. It'll be short-lived, and we won't have any anchor there. We will be fruitless and without root because we were made to grow in a certain way. We were made to be deep souls. We were made to be people who bear fruit. Maybe you've been hearing the words of Jesus for years and you've just not thought about them that much, except for maybe it's just a message of religion or as a moral code to live by or maybe as a shackle around your ankles holding you down and holding you back. But you were meant to be teeming with life. You were meant to have the seeds of the gospel grow deep. You were meant to know joy. You were meant to savor the warmth of the sun on your face. And the fact that Jesus even tells this parable is evidence of God's desire for you to flourish. How is Jesus telling this parable to them evidence of his desire for you to flourish? Because you're hearing it now. Why are you hearing it now? Because this one who made the seed is also the one who made a way through the life, death, and through his own life, death, and resurrection for us to be reconciled to our God. He's the same one who told his disciples, cast the seeds of the gospel far and wide to every tongue, tribe, and nation, to the four corners of the earth. And so they did. And so here we are, hearing the same old story with the invitation to grow because the gospel has grown and it's made its way around the world. And here we are in the fertile soil of the truth of the mercy and grace of Jesus. The seeds of the gospel are sown. What kind of soil are you? Let me pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the ordinariness of these parables, the way that you created a world that is teeming with illustrations for us of the way that you love us whether it's in a seed or it's even in the ways that we experience the course of a life and the course of a day that we're born in the morning and that we die at night and that we're risen again in the next day. Father, I thank you for the ways that you give us all these patterns and these pictures of what it means to live in your world. Help us, Father, to be people who want to see the truth of your gospel grow in us. We pray that you would produce fruit in our lives, the kind of fruit that brings others to know you, but also the kind of fruit that reminds us, that insists to us that we belong to you and that your life is living inside of us. And teach us then, Lord, how to walk in that with confidence, thanking you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. And help us to be people who also sow the seeds of the gospel in the lives of those around us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.